Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to Strangers in Cinema. I'm co-host Paul Anderson here with uh, co-host co-host Pete Wall. Sorry, is that Pete Wall that used to do Strangers in Cinema is now back on Strangers in Cinema for for this episode and maybe more, Pete? Pete. Pete, yeah. welcome back. <laughs> yeah, hi. Hi. Yeah, I've fallen on hard times, man. So I basically come back cap in hand. Uh, things weren't working out for me. And so uh, I, I've just groveled back to Paul and asked for a spot back on the show. No, uh, full disclosure, it's been a little while. A lot of things have been going on, uh, for better and worse, I guess. But it feels really like a very much for better today when we're sat here in Bath in the sunshine, having had a beautiful afternoon and now getting all giddy and thinking, let's throw out an episode of the podcast. Let's just relive old times and let's see how the old <laughs> chemistry works out when we get in the studio. So we'll see how it actually pans out, given that this is going to be one of the least planned shows coming from podcasters kind of known for uh, not a lot more than being incredibly uh, poorly planned at times. I, I though am so pretty. Well, let's just let's just throw down what happened this afternoon. So what happened this afternoon? We we it's been a while since we've caught up. I think that's fair to say. And uh, so we sat in we sat in a pub together this afternoon. And um, as people are aware, there's been a, a change of host of late, and, and things are changing up on the show. And uh, Pete said to me, he was like, well, maybe we could consider maybe doing the show again. And I was just like, ah, sounds, sounds like a great idea. And then another pint was sank, and was just like, let's do a show this afternoon, Pete. It's like we are going to do a show today. Yeah. Um, so like yeah. we have stuff that we really want to say. We're just not quite sure what those things are <laughs> until we actually get rolling with this episode. Obviously, when you take two people and separate them who have spent most of their relationship chatting about films and they don't do that for a period of months, there's going to be this whole backlog of chats that we haven't, to be honest, haven't had that are going to unfold in your ears in real time as Paul and I catch up on the films that we've been watching and the things we've been thinking about movies for like the last four or five months albeit with the knowledge on my part at least that on the show on the strange in the cinema show a lot of these films that i haven't talked to paul about paul has talked to you about in the past so if i sort of um cross into territory that's already been discussed then you know obviously i'll be pulled back into into place and we won't <laughs> won't overdo or retread too much on those movies but basically um whatever may happen in the future may happen but as far as i'm concerned for now let's get on with today's show focus on the present Paul, and see what we can Honestly, pop out for the listeners yeah, there's, there's, there's near cheers streaming down this is an emotional moment for me i'm nearly i'm nearly in tears here however i'm not uh, i was saying that just for the effect of gap for the camera for the microphone in fact there is however a structure today's show so we did have enough time to put a brief touch together so we're going to have a brief chat about what we've been up to in terms of so we've both been doing some work for film festivals as you probably will be aware with me i do some work for it's six film festival uh, i'm going to talk a bit about that uh, pete's been doing some work for channel film festival as a volunteer uh then we're going to get into the sections as you know them well uh what we've been watching where i think we'll do three films each we'll see where it goes maybe we'll do a few more and then following up with a feature review uh we'll end in the cap in the show on a feature review of uh Toy Story 4. Yeah, a pair of adults in their mid-30s. We thought, you know what we need to do? We need to get together and we need to talk about the uh, very grown-up adult movie Toy Story 4. So we thought we're going to feature that today and then we're going to build the entire show off of that. So that's to look forward to. But yeah, before then... Man, like, as you say, Exit 6 is taking up a lot of your time. Uh, to a lesser extent, the Cheltenham Film Festival took up some of my time. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to throw down? Well, I, some... no, I'll, I'll throw it down. So, as, as people know, I've been, work, I've been working, taking a larger role. Well, you may not know, in fairness, if you're new listeners to the show. So, I've taken a larger role in uh, a short film festival based in Basingstoke called Exit 6 Film Festival. Uh, and they are going from strength to strength. So, I've been submissions coordinator this year. So... A big part of my role is a. I'm on the judging panel again, which is great. So based on based on the based on the fact that you guys have listened to this podcast, the film festival invited me on to judge short films. So thank you guys, because if without you listening, I wouldn't have been there. So that's great. So I'm part of the selection process. I think the last year there was what nearly 200 short films, and we had to we have to whittle that down to 44 films that are throughout the day. So that's part of the judging panel. But submissions coordinator, so I have to make sure that. All the films are correctly assigned across uh, a, a selection of judges. So a selection of filmmakers and cinephiles and a selection of male, female and ethnic and ethnic diverse as much as the, the panel is ethnic diverse, which is fairly ethnic diverse. Make sure there's a diverse selection of judges 
judging the right films and making sure that no filmmaker, no people who know filmmakers can judge their friends' films and that kind of thing. And then uh, what the, the best bit about that, though, because that sounds quite dull, I'll be honest, in terms of managing spreadsheets, but the best bit of that is twice or three times a year we have what's called a sanity check, uh, where we all get together as a panel, and then if there's a disparity in scores, then we have to discuss um, why is one person judge this film for, why is one person judge this film eight, for example. So we get together and discuss that. So the whole judging panel gets together, and that's incredible. Uh, and that's been going from strength to strength. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great working with them. Uh, Mark Brennan, whose voice you've definitely heard on the show, is the festival director. So um, I do work for him, and it's great. He's, he's a lovely chap and a, and a very old friend. Uh, so yeah, the film festival is going really, really well. And um, yeah, they... sorry to, to butt in, Paul. What stage are you at in terms of the selection process of the films? Like, have you got now? We haven't what's closed. Gonna we haven't play? closed submissions yet, but we've got an idea. The submissions are still open. I've really forgotten the submission deadline because you've caught us on the hop in terms of talking about this submission deadline. I think is if just a couple of weeks away for the late submission. So we're not far off the uh, we're not far off the submission deadline. So we're getting there, but we've got definitely got a sense of the festival forming and kind and, of what, kind what of movies year take, so. remind me i need reminding let alone the listeners what year are we in in terms of exit six we are in year four of exit year six four now. so yeah. you've been there i believe every year so far no i've been there every year i haven't been involved but yeah I was only involved for the first time but last you've year. been at the festival every year yeah, so yeah, yeah. if you look yeah. at the previous three years compared with the submissions that you've had this year do you think that the quality like the bar of quality of stuff that you're getting in and stuff that presumably the best of that which is going to be shown at the festival do you think it's of a, a an equal quality a higher quality what what do you feel about the level of submissions that you're getting uh, at this it's, point it's obviously in... you don't want to name anyone specifically no but no I'm, not gonna, I'm certainly not going to name anyone specifically because I, I wouldn't have a job if i suddenly went oh this has been selected and this hasn't been selected we don't know in all honesty the final the final selection process hasn't been decided um there's certainly been some highlights but i'm, I'm not going to talk about those now um, but yeah, I think in terms of in terms of the the quality of the submissions, I think it's been fantastic. Like it was, it was hard judging last year. It's going to be a lot harder this year. In terms, it's going to be a lot harder this year. I think mm. uh, in terms of uh, what goes through. So we also have the X Six Film Festival has a the judges six in the evening. So the evening session, which I think you've been you've been to this before. Yeah. So where we sit there as a panel and we decide which are going to be the final six uh, films that go towards the judge. Uh, last year it was Bern Gorman. This year it's going to be Bern Gorman again, who incredibly for X Six has agreed to come on as a patron. Um, so that should be fantastic. I th he's hoping to attend the festival this year, so that will be quite cool. Um, so yeah, that's always the hard thing. Is is, is sometimes it's there are it's. Sometimes it's like, okay, this either hits the benchmark or it doesn't. That's not always a, a hard decision to make, but trying to knuckle down when you go, which is the really the best six of what we've seen, that's my favourite part of working at the film festival, to be honest. And it means I will probably, by the time the festival comes around, I'll have watched 100 plus short films quite mm. easily. Um, and um, you say by the time the f festival comes around, what is the date of this so year's festival? The deadline. Sorry, I did. I did say about the final deadline, uh, and I will say the final deadline now. So the final deadline is tenth of July. Um, so that is fast approaching. And the festival itself um, is is September time. The right? festival itself is the twenty eighth of September. Right. So the final deadline for notifications. If you are a short filmmaker listener and haven't thought to apply yet, then give it a look for sure. Uh, the final deadline is tenth of July. Uh, and the film festival itself is on Saturday, the 28th of September. Yeah, and, and Paul, we've said it before and we'll say it again on the show. Like, if you are a UK-based short film director or just somebody who is in some way connected to the short film or just wider film industry and you have any interest in opportunities to meet and network with people involved in UK film and also international film, it's um, not... And this guy. And this guy on the <laughs> other microphone. Yeah, then this festival we can't recommend highly enough because you've got this weekend where you're in... Basingstoke, which on the face of it, you know, all present company uh, considered, might not sound like the most glamorous location <laughs> in the world, but what they've done so well with that festival, Mark and everyone involved, is make the town feel like it's a real part of the festival. And so all of the venues that are connected to it feel kind of of a piece. Like the thing feels like it's been thought through and planned out in a very professional way. So if you submit something and you get to uh, show your work or you just come along as a fan, you're going to have an experience that feels like you're more connected at a sort of grassroots level than you get from a lot of your bigger festivals I think where it can be a bit alienating or you can feel a little bit small or you know unimportant yeah no, no I agree with that and I think uh, I think twice twice this week I've had conversations with people about oh films in the cinema are not what they used to be they're shit at the moment and I'm like I can't really argue against that however my argument is oh films not what we used to be my argument is bollocks 
It is. You just need to look elsewhere for it. And if you haven't experienced short films, then just go out and find them because some of, and I've talked about this before and I'll talk about, probably talk about this again. Like it takes to, to, to be able to make a short film that in 10 minutes can make you love characters, can make you laugh and cry in 10 minutes is an incredible accomplishment. Like it's almost it's almost too easy to do it in a feature yeah, in a yeah. way. And and Paul, you'll get you'll you'll right. like in your position you'll get kicked back like, oh short films it's not relevant, you know, feature films is where it's at. You know, ask yourself who's made a short film of repute. I mean, uh, Andrea Arnold, David Cronenberg. I mean, like <laughs> there, there are so many huge names that you may not realise, but who got a start by throwing out a short film that got some acknowledgement and allowed them to make something bigger on a bigger budget. So it's not to disparage short films as like, oh, it's just a stepping stone. The point is you've got this huge base of talented creative well, I mean, people as of as of now paul thomas anderson's short film that he did as uh as a, i think a three a one reeler as they've described it which is what they used to describe one real silent films he's paul thomas anderson's got something off on netflix which is a short film where he's doing a music video show short film for the work of tom york so if it's good enough for paul thomas anderson yeah, yeah paul like... yeah paul and, and all you hipsters out there will be like oh i'll watch that because it's tom york slash yeah. paul thomas anderson but you've just watched a short film guys exactly <laughs> like... so take a more active interest get involved it would be great and yeah as we say basingstoke sex six festival is a is a fucking great weekend so get along if you get the opportunity um i should mention at this point in this segment that there was another film festival that happened uh, not too long ago which was the inaugural cheltenham film festival again it feels like our show is going very niche because we're talking about two film festivals in in fairly unglamorous towns but uh cheltenham film festival hopefully is going to be a, an ongoing concern it seems like the guy who organized this festival and sort of uh, got the financing for it is interested in it rolling out into a sort of second third and fourth year all being well touch wood etc i did some volunteering there they had a really great program we had filmmakers over from poland there was like a whole uh uh, segment of the festival programming which was devoted to Polish filmmakers and then we got like films going back a little while that are sort of interesting to fans of genre I mean things that are pretty mainstream like uh, Ringu the original Japanese ring through stuff like Blind Spotting that we both saw last year and really liked uh, Sorry to Bother You like a load of contemporary stuff that maybe people would have missed especially in a town like Cheltenham well, never seen it in Cheltenham I mean yeah I mean yeah. it's one of Paul's catchphrases is you would never have seen it in Cheltenham and, and the reason you love that catchphrase is you know it rings true like there are towns all around the country not just mine where people miss some of these slightly sort of mid-budget indie releases and a festival like that gives you the opportunity to see it so I would say uh, given that it was a festival that was pretty uh, limited in terms of uh, financial backing I guess and in terms of like run-up period to get the marketing machine underway I think year one went pretty well and I'm just looking forward to how it can sort of grow and grow year two and three and, and and get more people involved i mean simon Pegg signed off on this festival for whatever that's worth in terms of being a, an ambassador for it because he grew up in the area that's great the more that we had we had a uh, mike lee at this one so yeah the, okay. mo the more that you get these kinds of names attached the more people start to take it mike lee was seriously there, was he? yeah he was there he, he okay. showed a couple of his films in a double bill and then right. he was there to do a q a so like well that's good that's, yeah, yeah, it, yeah those kinds of things turn heads i guess and you know for better or worse that's what you need sometimes to make people pay attention to what you're doing but then in a town like Cheltenham you've already got like a jazz and literature and art festival and so on this one if they can get a footing that puts them in that conversation I think can run and run but we'll see in year two whether that actually happens I would see the I would say sorry Paul the best thing I saw at it is something that you've talked about in the past you've already seen which was a Capernaum Yes. which Capernaum. I wanted to call Capernaum for the longest time yeah. but Capernaum yeah Capernaum, really good yeah, yeah. I like that a lot and I hadn't seen it going into the festival I'd seen quite a lot of the other programming but not that and that's really great so if you haven't checked that out obviously do I mean you've uh, recommended it I think in the past so yeah I would co-sign on that it's really good um, and I mean I guess if there's a theme to talking about Exorcist and Cheltenham it's not just go to those festivals and support them that's great it's just get out to your local film festival support it at grassroots level well, no 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 completely agree with that because I think it's I think it's very easy and in fairness certain film festivals I have been at in the past you can be guilty of feeling a little bit elitist and like if you haven't made a film why are you here like but they're not that like honestly like I don't make films that might hopefully is changing this year but regardless I haven't made one yet um like I don't make films but still I, I care about films and I want to see more short films so please 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 don't think that film festivals are just for filmmakers or people really really into films like 
They are there for everyone. Go and catch some films. Like, oh my god, if you haven't seen Blind Spotting, then just what are you doing? Yeah, uh, yeah. Get, like, if you get, but if you will not, you will not get a chance to see some of these films on the big screen. And honestly, just go. You'll also meet if you. I guarantee you, if you're sitting there going, but I'm into films, but my friend isn't massively into films. Go to a film festival because yeah, it's meet a great time. It's a social like, time, and like you yeah. know, to to sort of uh, tag on something that you said earlier on, it's very easy for people nowadays to say, you know, the the cinema lets me down. Films aren't like they used to be. I'm not seeing the, the things on the cinema screen that I would hope for as an avid film fan. But you can't talk out both sides of your mouth. Like if you want to see <laughs> yeah, fair, yeah. better work, yeah. uh, independent work, or work from it. interesting people, you have to be those people who actually show up, pay for the tickets, and go and watch the movies, even like. Like you say, Paul, if you're not a filmmaker or producer or actor or whatever, yeah, you are the lifeblood because you're the fans who show up and pay the ticket prices and make these things ongoing concerns into sort of second, third, fourth year. And like Exit 6 could have died a death after year one if it yeah. wasn't for people supporting it that have taken it through to, what, fourth year now. So, yeah, yeah fantastic. Have we got anything else to say before we like diatribe ourselves to death about indie film, or should we get uh, out of here for the first part? No, we get out of indie film, uh, and then we'll be back after this with what have we been watching? Right, so we're back with what have we been watching? In which segment, if you don't know already, I'm about to ask Pete. Pete. What have you been watching? Uh, what have I been watching? Well, considering that I haven't appeared on this show for <laughs> close to, what, five or six months... This could be uh, a very long I session. could talk for hours, <laughs> but what I'm going to do is is uh, control myself and just talk about a few things. I don't know, you know, I'm doing this without a great deal of planning, as we've said at the top, so if you've seen them already, Paul, which there's a you know high likelihood that you have, then please jump in and, and tell me what you think or why I'm wrong. But um, I want to talk about, first of all, a movie called Holiday... Have you seen this one? No. Okay. So I don't think so, anyway. This is a movie uh, from a female director called Isabel Eckloff, which kind of falls into the territory of something like Irreversible or that film Revenge okay. that we talked yeah. about not long ago in terms of being a sort of cruelty done to a female character and the consequences of that movie, if that is a sub-genre. Uh, <laughs> basically, what we've got here is there's a, a character called Sasha, who's the trophy girlfriend of a Danish drug lord, who goes on this trip that she's been taken on basically to look good in a swimsuit and sort of hang around by the pool. Right. Um, she starts what seems to be... Well, welcome to my life, listeners. <laughs> which se- Something that seems to be a sort of a holiday romance of sorts with another guy who has a boat in the harbour in the sort of luxe resort that they're staying in, which obviously is not going to go down greatly with her um, current sort of keeper slash boyfriend. Um, This is an interesting movie for me for a number of reasons, but firstly because it opens up with a sort of interpretive dance sequence, which uh, blindsides you a little bit (laughs) at the beginning, which seems uh, completely disconnected to the movie until you get further into what's going on here. It's very, very dark. Um, It's quite upsetting. Um, It had a sequence that from the original Danish movie was trimmed or cut quite significantly, which is a sexual assault sequence, which I think in trim form is still quite hard to see. Um, However, there's flair to this movie and there's a sense of sort of um, atmosphere and menace that I don't think I've seen many directors handle as well. As okay. in the case of Holiday. So this movie came out in 2018, just last year. I don't know if it's currently streamable um, elsewhere. But when I came to review it, because I'm kind of sporadically reviewing stuff on Letterboxd, Paul much better than me at this. But all I did was quote the lyrics from the, the track uh, Cinnaman, which uh, <laughs> basically uh, lead on to... Um, uh, and uh, uh, I... Yeah, going to the Lord, running to the Lord, and the Lord said, go to the devil, go to the devil. It's the kind of movie that makes you feel that sense of, like, um, empathetic, like, hopelessness for the character at its centre, and you feel vulnerable, and you feel uh, kind of battered and bruised yourself by the time you've gone through this journey. Now, all of this, given that I'm making an appearance back on this show, it doesn't really feel like I'm selling you candy today, or or anything that's going to lighten up your world in the what, June? I watched this in the winter, man. Like I feel like if I'd have done this in the winter, it would seem a lot more appropriate. But Holiday is really, really good. And I think it's going to fly under the radar for a lot of people. So if you get the chance to see it, I would highly recommend it. But 
you need a little bit of a strong stomach given the things that I've mentioned at the beginning and the references to other movies. If you know what I'm talking about with Revenge and Irreversible, then you'll know whether or not this is for you. Paul, what about yourself? So I caught up with Brightburn, uh, which is a very recent 2019 release, um, probably more famous for the fact that it's got James Gunn and name attached as producer, but a guy called a guy who I'm not familiar with called David Yaroski as director um, and this as you may have garnered if you've seen the trailers is essentially a retelling of the superman origin story if superman was a little piece of shit <laughs> um isn't this really i've heard this really violent it's incredibly violent yeah so this is so this stars um elizabeth banks as the mother of said child said um slightly disturbed child shall we say uh and the actor that plays the actual young superhero or super villain himself uh, i'm just reaching for the name um so yeah pete you are right it, it is really violent and I'll, I'll i'll be frank i went into this not expecting good things because i'd read some very very hostile reviews in all honesty um and i don't i'll be i'll be frank i don't think these reviews are necessarily justified um i really really like the direction this went in uh, it's incredibly bleak, as you've said. I think it, it sets up it's it sets up um, a great atmosphere. I forget the name of the kid that plays the the superhero now, um, the the young superhero character. But I think he's, he delivers a really really creepy performance. I'm going to find his name when I'm talking because it's not fair to talk about him and not give him credit because he was really good in it. Um, yeah, so this is Jackson A. Dunn plays um, the Brightburn character. Or... It's been kind of, from what I get, I haven't seen this movie yet, I, I get the impression it's got sort of mixed reviews on, on cinematic release. It, it, the people who have not gone for this, why do you think that is? To be honest, I, I can fully understand why people haven't gone for this because I think the people that have not gone for this have kind of gone, oh, we're really excited about this. This is going to do something different with the superhero genre. This is going to kind of flip it on its head. We're going to have a really, like... Like really interesting take on the superhero genre, and I think the criticism I've read is they've kind of just gone, well, it seems a little bit lazy that you've just done it as a straight up horror film. Um, I disagree, to be honest. I, I I can see where they're coming from. They were expecting something different going in, but if you've got James Gunn attached to it, it's it's written by James Gunn's two brothers, and James Gunn's background, uh, like it or loathe it, is trauma. So James Gunn's background is very much exploitation cinema and always has been. He's never shied away from that fact. Um, so if you went and expecting Guardians of the Galaxy, you're not going to get it. This is the kind of film that I can imagine James Gunn would have liked to have directed, but then got Guardians, so can't really attach himself to it as director anymore. Um, so yes, it takes a turn for the very, very dark and very, very gory quite quickly. Uh, and for me, it's the really, the really, the main reason I enjoyed it because it goes down the very sort of schlocky exploitation horror route. Which I really, really liked. Um, I think it's, I think it's creepy. There's arguably probably one too many jump scares in it for my tastes, um, but I think it works really, really well. And the gore is so over the top and so violent that it goes out the other side of being. For me, it goes out the other side of being unpleasant and starts becoming funny. And like you've, you know, the kind of way you laugh. You're like, oh, check that out. It's, it sounds as though I've done fucked up because I had, well, we had my wife and I tickets to see this, and then through life events, uh, decided not to go. And now that you're talking about it, it actually seems like something that's worth. Uh, it yeah, don't get me wrong. It's, it's, you know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna sit on top of any film of the year list, and I can understand the criticisms levelled at it. But for me, it, it worked. It was just a fun throwaway horror film where the horror where the villain is essentially superman and the gore is inventive and pretty well, very well done um it's a grim dark film but for me it worked and i enjoyed that but i'm a fan of exploitation cinema so if you're not a fan of exploitation cinema you probably will come out and go what the fuck was paul talking about um that wasn't very good at all I had a great time with it. Yeah, and if you're not, you would have probably had to skip through vast swathes of previous episodes of yeah, the show, to yeah, be fair. So yeah. you're, you're ready for those kinds of warnings. Um, second for me, another hilarious one, really brightening up your day. Uh, a movie that I am going to compel you, dear listener, to seek out. This one's on Netflix, so I'm not just going to go, oh, I don't know if it's streaming or not, if you can ever see it. Uh, it's called The Guilty. Have you seen this movie before? No, I haven't. Oh, man. Oh, oh, get yourself down there to Netflix HQ. Because The Guilty is one of those movies that does this incredible job of like limited stories telling all that you really have in the movie is a guy with a headset in a call center 
and an entire heart-rending, stomach-churning drama plays out with you watching a guy speaking into a headset. Because what you have a here is a guy who is taking calls that involve... Um, I believe uh, criminal behavior and like emergencies, like an emergency switchboard, essentially, where he has to pass on information to the relevant um, emergency services. But he gets a call in, which seems to be about a woman who's been kidnapped. And so he goes kind of above and beyond his usual duties because he feels a real sense of... Um, uh, a real uh, duty is now the wrong word that I've say, said he's gone beyond his duties, but he he's, feels like a kinship with this woman. And he feels like this is a person that I need to help on just a human level, even if I'm going to have to sort of break through some red tape that I shouldn't in order to help her. The way the thing plays out, I can't say a thing about because you're going to have to experience that for yourself but like when I saw this movie my response was you know one of those Paul where you see a movie and you're like okay firstly I would like um, a TV series of this I'd like a podcast of this <laughs> I would like to have not seen this movie so I could start at the beginning and watch it again right it got me man like I, it was one of those which I had no expectations going in I watched it sort of late afternoon early evening on my own and my wife came home with the last 20 minutes and I said I'm gushing about this movie to her. And, and she was so taken with everything I was saying. She was like, well, actually, I want to watch the last 20 minutes based right, on what okay. you've said. It, it's it's a sleeper. It's one that I don't want to be ignored. Find it. It's on Netflix. It's called The Guilty. It's subtitled. Do a bit of reading. You know, you'll be fine with that. <laughs> but um, yeah, really, really excellent piece of drama and a great screenplay. Check it out. Paul, what else have you got? What else have I got? I have got uh, another recent release. This is what came out this week, actually. This is the Child's Play remake directed by Lars Klevberg, I think. With uh, Aubrey Plaza, right? With Aubrey Plaza, yes. Um, yeah, wow. Um, I'll be honest, I kind of went to this expecting possibly a bit of a hate watch. Just kind of like, well, no, I'll be frank. I did kind of go to this thinking, well, I'm going to review this for the website I write for, so I've got to go and see it because I've put my name on it now. Uh, and then I started reading some really positive things. And then I thought, am I quite looking forward to the Child's Play remake? Um, and do you know what? It's all right, Pete. Mm -hmm. It is actually all right. Like, I love the original film, hands down. I think it's fantastic. I think it's an incredibly creepy, very, very effective Is it Jennifer film. Tilly in the original movie? No, she is in the... She's Sequels. not in it until part four... Right. I think, which isn't really part for it, kind of becomes a reboot again. We can do a whole history of the Child's Play franchise. After <laughs> for another Pete, show, maybe. After this, Pete, we'll have a chat and I'll give you a plotted history of the Child's Play franchise. Uh, <laughs> but, so, yeah, so this um, stars this time around Aubrey Plaza as the mother. Um, we've got uh, and Mark Hamill voicing Chucky this time around. Um, and we've got something of a reinvention here, um, which, again, like every, every part of me, the knives are out. So, as soon as it started and you have a very similar looking buddy doll and then the doll looks a little bit like Chucky from the original films but not enough like Chucky to be exactly like him and I was just like oh why didn't you make it different like why have you made this now and as the film goes on I was just like oh I can't do uh, am I enjoying it I was just like I am do you know what and about 20 minutes in I was like I am quite enjoying this just give in. I am quite enjoying this. Um, so they've taken kind of a different track. There's the supernatural element's gone. It's kind of like Chucky is now an AI sort of robot, an AI robot that can control all of your apps in your house to one company from one company. So it's like an, an Alexa, a nasty Alexa doll, for want of a better word. Um, so they've gone like kind of more the sci-fi route, although more current with it. Um, and there's no sort of supernatural. It's just a disgruntled employee puts a chip, disables all of the, disables all of the inhibitors, the AI, so Chucky turns out to be a bit of a fucker, shall we say, uh, as, as you might be unsurprised to learn. Um, yeah, Mark Hamill's great, great voice in Chucky. I think for me, it did. In, it's, it's lost the atmosphere of the original. I, I will say that. But what it's replaced it is what is what is replaced that atmosphere with is a great sense of a great feeling of just horror hokum. Um, it's the first time I've said that on a podcast. It won't be the last time. Um, yeah, it's just fun. It's it's gleefully over the top. It's uh, very, very gory in places again, which I'm always a fan of in silly over-the-top horror films. It's got a sense of humour about it, and it's got some really great set pieces. There's one set piece that involves um, that involves Chucky um, 
strapping Stanley Nice Blades to some kids' drones, and then that goes into a, a toy shop full of people. So yeah, there's some creative set pieces that are a lot of fun if you're into that kind of thing. But yeah, very, very pleasantly surprised. It did enough different to warrant its, to warrant its own existence. At the same time, it still, it still had the feel of a child's play film. Chucky was voiced very well by Mark Hamill. And yeah, certainly, I, I mean, I've read things that say it's better than the original. Uh, hands down, it's not better than the original. But it is certainly one of the better horror film remakes out there. And horror fans will have a lot of fun in the cinema with this. So if you do get a chance to see it, it's on at the moment. D- don't be wary, just go in, it's fun. I um, follow that with... I, I'm torn here, Paul, because I want to talk about Booksmart, but I guess you've already covered it on the oh, show. Oh, talk about Booksmart. You're more, you can talk about Booksmart. Well, very, very briefly. Can we, just, can, we can do the rest of the year on Booksmart. We, we, can, we can disagree that, that <laughs> Booksmart works and is really good and um, naysayers to the movie, I think, are, are being a bit um, uh, pernickety and silly because um, what took me most about that film, Paul, is is not... The fact that yeah, it's kind of um, you know super bad, but with girls. Um, it's and, funnier than super bad. It's a better film than super bad. Right, right. But like, there is a level at which it's a comparable movie. But like yeah. sequences that I didn't expect from first-time feature director Olivia Wilde are things like the swimming pool sequence yeah. played out to um, Perfume Genius. That Perfume Genius <laughs> track where the girl jumps into the pool in slow motion, and from the point at which she goes into the pool, you're transported from this great moment of like sort of blissful young hope and sort of um sexually charged like excitement to uh, the way that the lights all darken when she resurfaces and everything seems like it's come to a premature end and everything is disappointment and sadness like these are the kind of touches that you'd get in like it felt more to me in common with something like a Greg Araki movie at times which that's really a fair, that's a really fair description which really yeah. took me because I yeah for, uh, it's not that I've got anything against Olivia Wilde I think Olivia Wilde is, is, is very talented and I think that she has done some really good work and, and also taken like roles in indie movies that someone as phenomenally attractive and you know baseline talent as mm. her probably didn't need to take um, she could have done a lot of bigger money uh, sort of look pretty for the camera roles that she's obviously turned down but to see such a confident feature debut was was really something it, it's not actually the movie that I want to talk about though um, the movie that I want to talk about is a movie that I said was one of my most anticipated of the year when we did that at the end of last year on this show uh, which is the Claire Denis movie High Life have you reviewed this on the show already? I have briefly reviewed this, but I'd love to hear your thoughts because it was one of your most anticipated movies of the year. It, it was, and I won't hammer on about it too much at all. Um, I, I'm already on Team Claire Denis. I like her stuff. I'll watch whatever. And when this was going to be Claire Denis with uh, Juliette Binoche again after uh, Here Comes the Sun, or Let yeah. the Sunshine In, which yeah. is the stupid English title for the last movie, uh, and then Robert Pattinson, and then Mia Goth, and then uh, Andre 3000 from Outcast, and all these people, and in space, by the way, which already <laughs> gets me, you know, in anybody else's movies. Uh, I was all in. And then the movie started, and I thought, I don't know if I'm going with this, and I don't know if it feels like a kind of homage to things like um, Silent Running or like you know movies that have been done better in the past. I thought I owed quite a lot to Sunshine in parts. Yeah I, I, I agree and, and I think that it, it was a sort of slow burn for me like some of her movies I guess are but the thing that tantalises me and the thing that I can't spoil and the thing that I just want to talk about with, for, with someone for hours is uh, the end of that movie yeah. and what it means. Because <laughs> I, I think I get what it means and I think the thing that I get that is what it maybe means is sort of utterly horrifying at the same time entirely practical. But yeah, uh, you basically have uh, Robert Pattinson raising a daughter from uh, infancy through to adolescence against the backdrop of Juliette Binoche being this sort of like sex witch who's uh, <laughs> compelling all these space prisoners who have no hope of release. In the fuck box. Because in they're the in space. Box. Yeah, to 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 basically <laughs> give over their, their sort of seed and eggs in order to procreate and make the mission go further into the sort of outer reaches of space. But it comes to this sort of existential uh, event horizon towards the end uh, where we really have to think about what the sort of human can like the pro- the progress of humanity is all building towards and mm. for that reason and almost that reason alone it's going to stick with me for absolutely ages so yeah i i know that there are going to be people who watch high life thinking this is a space movie with robert pattinson and i'm disgusted about how slowly it moves it it's it's not going to be your thing if you're expecting it to be um i don't know whatever the obvious 
spacey, big budget movie comparison is. Interstellar or? Perhaps so. But, you know, even when you mention something like Sunshine, I think there's more sort of commercial mainstream enjoyment to be had. Enjoyment yeah. being the watchword because there's not a lot to enjoy about Highlight. No, it's bleak. Yeah, it's, it's very bleak. bleak. It's interesting. Yeah. It's thoughtful. It will make you think about things if you give it the time, but it's not It's not popcorn stuff. Uh, and that's not to be sort of highfalutin about it. It's just, um, it's a good movie that is worth people's time and, and please check it out if you get the chance if you're even vaguely interested in sort of like how that sounds. Paul, have you got anything else? I have. I've got one more I wanted to talk about. I'm making a jump from horror to sci-fi. Uh, so this is I Am Mother, which is the directorial debut of Grant Spatore, or Grant Spatore, if Richard, your name, I apologise. Uh, this is a Netflix, uh, Netflix exclusive, certainly in the UK anyway. Um, it's a sci-fi set in the nearish future sort of post-apocalyptic future i think uh starring hillary swank uh hillary swank is one of the bigger names attached rose Byrne as the voice of the mother robot and then also we have and i need to single her out because she's one of the best things in the film and because we've become very unprepared for this episode i've forgotten the actress's name who plays a young teenage girl who is raised by the robots clara regard uh clara sorry Clara Rugard, yes. So Clara Rugard plays a young girl who basically has been raised uh, from embryo state by a maybe friendly, maybe not friendly robot. Um, and then she has been raised to the point of uh, sort of, I'd say, late late teenage years, would you say, Pete? You've seen this. Yeah. Maybe late teenage years. Uh, and Hilary Swank's character has got a sort of... And it basically, so Clara Rugard's character is a, is a young girl who has been raised by this robot who's been told that she cannot go outside under any circumstances because there's, there's definitely pollution. She can't go outside. And she's educated completely by this robot. She's got no contact with the outside world because there's been some there. Well, there has been some kind of extinction level event. And according to the robot that is her mother, there is no people left outside. Didn't it? Didn't it make you think about Ten Cloverfield Lane? It did make me yeah. think a lot about, about that thing about Lane. like somebody yes. telling you this is the reality, yeah. but never check if I'm telling yes. the truth or not. Yeah, it kind of yeah. felt like that. Uh, and then um, heaven forbid, well, there wouldn't be a film if this didn't happen. Hilary Swank's character arrives at the door, desperate for help, and she realizes actually. She's not being told the entire truth by the robot because there is human beings outside. She lets her loose character in and the film develops from there. Um, Tunkler for Lane is a good touchstone for this film. I was dubious about this because of the quality of some of Netflix's recent sci-fi output has not been the best. And um, as I was chatting to uh, the old producer of the show, Connor, the other day, he was just like, well, Netflix are very much concept first and execution later. Um, and I think that's that's a fair criticism of them, for better or worse. So I have to say, I was mostly pleasantly surprised by this film, I think, um, in terms of the fact that I thought it was incredibly well put together. I was reading an interview with the director, and the, the all the robot effects are 90% practical, apparently. So I had a great look about it. It really, really, You really, really felt like you were there. The bunker looked absolutely convincing. There wasn't a dependence on cheap CGI. It was a lot of practical effects, and I think it, it looked very good. Which for a sci-fi film, for me, is incredibly important. If it can get you into the world very, very quickly, that's a good shout. Um, Clara Woodgard, I, I thought, was a, it's a fantastic... I've not seen her anywhere before. It may not be a debut performance. I thought she was great in this. Um, and I thought, for the most part, that the film was the film was quite atmospheric. I won't spoil where it goes. I think... I mean, you've seen this, Pete, so when I finish what I'm saying, by all means, weigh in. I think perhaps two hours was probably pushing the length of this story. I think as, as much as I enjoyed it for the most part and it was atmospheric, it did feel like it was slightly long-winded in places and they were dragging, dragging certain plot points out that could have been resolved a lot sooner. But when you realise that this is a directorial debut, you'll suddenly find I'm a bit more forgiving of it. I think he's an Australian director. Um, I suddenly became a lot more forgiven of it because for me it was a very, very promising debut wasn't without fault but there's certainly a lot worse on Netflix and there's certainly a lot worse sci-fi films you can watch whether on Netflix or not. Pete what, what were your thoughts? Yeah I, I largely agree I think where I fall short of maybe your fondness for the movie is that Grant Spatore this this director it feels to me very much like in the world of Netflix this is not necessarily a slight because I think it's absolutely the platform for it because you've got so much content and people will watch what they want and stuff like that and you're not charging you know, £10 or $15 or whatever going yeah. to the cinema to see this movie, but it felt like a showreel. It felt like a okay. sort of, um, like a short film concept that had been expanded sort of maybe slightly beyond its capabilities mm. narratively. And then it felt like a showreel for, if you see this movie as, you know, like you have, Paul, and the way you've talked about it there um, with, with a lot of... Um, 
yeah, undeniable positives about the movie. Yeah. It would be a thing where somebody would think this is a director that we can trust with maybe another project. Right, okay. Yeah, that's fair, yeah. And I think if you go to this and feel uh, excited about what Grant Spatore does in the future, I think that's probably a more satisfying takeaway than putting too many eggs in the basket of this being a stand-up good movie if you were go to yeah. go back to it in the future and whether it would sort of stand up to any scrutiny. I think Hilary Swank is... is good in it i think that yeah like you said man like the practical effects and the robot effects are kind of phenomenal considering this is something that just crops up on netflix yeah. and you get to to it enjoy some tightening though the story needed some it did it needed fleshing out it needed yeah. time but maybe it didn't need it to the extent that i'm saying that maybe this is a stepping stone to something else i mean the guy's already greenlit for a film called the decade which will be his next feature we don't really know anything about right, that okay. yet but maybe that's going to be where he kind of really arrives at a sort of um, a bigger or greater level, yeah. uh, I guess. Because this thing, yeah, it started out being really, for me, really promising and exciting. And then it felt like it was kind of going through the motions a bit. But maybe, you know, we've talked about this before. I don't before, disagree, before. to be honest. No, I don't we, disagree. We've talked about this before, though. Like, we are in a position where we're so overexposed to watching every sci-fi thing that comes out, for example, that sometimes you see something that's totally fine yeah and you yeah, can be kind of hard on it take your nose up for it yeah, yeah you, you <laughs> can be kind of hard on it because you know all the things that have come before so yeah nowhere near being a bad film i just think maybe a stepping stone to something better in the future i know i, I would i would completely agree with that to be honest yeah but worth checking out if you're a sci-fi fan you could do a lot worse and there is a lot worse on netflix than that film <laughs> so for sure uh, right, well, that brings us to the end of what we've been watching. We'll be back after this break with a feature review of Toy Story 4. So we are back, part three, in which we feature review a movie. We sometimes do this in part two, today in part three, but we're going to focus this week on Toy Story 4, a movie that, Paul, I think it's fair to say we didn't know for sure would ever come into being. It felt like the franchise had kind of done its... Uh, done all of its sort of best work, culminating in, in part three, which depending on who you talk to, is the absolute pinnacle of the series or the weakest of the series. Um, but then it turns out, what are we, eight, nine years down the line? Toy Story 4 sees the light of day. And I'm not going out too much on a limb here to say, Paul, that this movie um, is surprisingly good. Yes, I, I would agree with you. Before we get to what we thought, though, here's a clip. Hi, toys. Hi, toys. Kindergarten. I knew no, it. No, you're no, trying guys, to get listen, Bonnie in trouble. No, of course not. You could have been confiscated. What does that mean? Taken away. <gasps> no! Or worse, you could have been lost. No, 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 guys, listen. Bonnie had a great day in class, and we're going on a road trip. Road trip? Vacation! <laughs> but then something really weird happened. Bonnie made a friend in class. Oh, she's already making friends. No, no, she literally made a new friend. Hey, it's okay. Come on out. That's it. Come on, there you go. Come on, let's get you out of there. You got this. Good, good. Everyone, I want you to meet Forky. Golly, Bob Look how long his arms are. So, yeah, as you said before the clip, Pete, yeah, I, I'm totally with you. And again, I, I didn't go in fully with my knives out because even Pixar, even an average Pixar generally can throw together an entertaining film. And it's, it's a very talented bunch of guys. There's no arguing that. But, yeah, I had my concerns. And for me, I'm one of those people that thought Toy Story 3 was incredible. And I thought it was a really, really, really poignant and fitting ending to the series. Uh, so I went in with some trepidation to story, Toy Story 4. I'll, I'll, I'll be completely honest. Um, uh, for the most part, I came out with it being very, very happy with what I saw. I think uh, they've feels like they've taken a slightly different route with this. From my perspective, they seem to play it more for out-and-out -out comedy than they have done before. It felt like very much more of an overt comedy than the other ones have been. Yeah, and, then and there's, that, there's that helped, I'll be honest, that helped me warm to it because it is consistently very, very funny. I mean, the character, you've got the character of Forky who is voiced by the um, Buster from Rest of Development, I 
think Tony Hale. Yeah, Tony Hale. Yeah, sorry. I was going to say I, Dereliction yeah. of Duty. I was going to set up the movie. I mean, you say it's it's goes a bit more all out for last, which I think is a lot based on that Tony Hale Forky character. Yeah. Because here you have uh, the little girl Bonnie, who I believe was in three. Yes. Right, uh, and she goes off to the first day of kindergarten, uh, leaving behind her her toys except for Woody, who sort of stows away and goes with her uh, on that first day, and she creates this new toy out of essentially trash that Woody manages to put on her desk in front of her when she's sort of feeling uh, a little bit scared about being surrounded by all these kids that she doesn't know and not how knowing how to sort of go about integrating in a class. She makes what is effectively a spork with some like pipe cleaner arms and some googly eyes yeah. and decides that that is her new favourite toy. So from that point on, the centre, the sort of gravitational pull of this group is all around this character that self-identifies as trash yeah. and has a sort of magnetic pull towards going back into the trash can to be with the warm, lovely, comforting trash. It's a weird turn. I mean, I've heard a lot of this, Paul, since the movie came out. People sort of saying like this thing goes really, really strange and almost like uncomfortably strange at certain times. But I think it really worked because I think if we got another adventure, which was just like, you know, oh, the toys are being neglected and have to try and retain their relevance in the life of the child. And that was all we got. Then it might feel a bit like we're just wringing some extra money out of this franchise. Whereas instead, what we've got is this sort of offbeat, like you say, more sort of comedic bent to the movie, which takes us in a slightly new direction. We get like a whole road trip in a camper van where all kinds of shenanigans occur. It felt a bit like uh, Finding Dory, where we have a sequence where it's all about getting into a location that's sealed and then sort of getting back out of that location. Um, for me like went way beyond my expectations I think I sort of went along dutifully thinking I like the series and I have love for Pixar but came out feeling like we could we could do with Toy Story 5 if they want to do one uh, yeah I don't know like I I liked it as a, as a standalone comedy I thought it was very very funny and and kudos to Keanu Reeves cameo as Duke Kaboom uh, who drops the line in Keanu Reeves' voice, which I'm not going to try and do an impression of because I'm nothing like him, of Yes We Canada. Um, like I, There was a lot to like here, like 100%. And as I think as a standalone comedy and Keanu Peele's roles were great. Well, as a um, pair of, yeah, fairground yeah, teddy pair bears. Psycho, psychopathic fairground teddy bears. Joined at the hands. And Chris, yeah. Christina Hendricks is in this one as well yes. as Gabby Gabby, the kind yeah. of sociopathic 1920s dolly. And, the, I, and, uh, I, like, and I like how they kind of... Like they subtly made Bo Peep a stronger feminist character without making a big deal about it. I think that worked. That there was there was a lot to like here for sure, but I can't help but think it still felt superfluous to the series. I, I can't help but think it still felt like it was a bit of a cash grab. As much as I enjoyed it, to me, it still felt like a bit of a cash grab because. I don't think it added anything to the overarching Toy Story narrative that uh, wasn't there in 3. I, I totally disagree. I, I disagree on a sort of rather pretentious sounding overarching <laughs> point, which is that I think that the Toy Story series has done this great job of playing to a young audience in terms of being a thing about animated toys that talk and have japes and, and adventures. But it also has had this um, this allegorical thing about parents and their relationship with their children and sort of letting go of mm. their children as their children grow up so like the woody character has always seemed to me to be like this father who's sort of aging and becoming less and less relevant to the children in his life even though that dynamic is reversed in the actual narrative of, yeah. the, of the films and then in this movie what struck me and it's not the only thing because of course there are all these laughs and one-liners and key and peel and all this stuff but is when you get towards the end of the movie and you see like where the bo peep arc has gone in terms of her being this effectively independent either single mother or childless parent let's say in my allegory that I'm forcing into this review <laughs> uh, and then the the movie very deliberately ends with what is a sort of um, a pull away shot to the moon which I don't think I'm spoiling anything about the actual movie that you're going to watch in the cinema but only talking about my own sort of understanding of it is very much now dealing not only with your children moving away from you or your children becoming more distant but is actually dealing with the reality of the death of a parent and I think that Maybe I don't think I'm alone here, okay. but if a if an animated if an animated Pixar movie can hit those strings whilst also delivering laughs and an adventure and a thing that seems like a passable toy uh, Toy Story movie or better than that, uh, that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, this this franchise has 
gone across the gamut for me from just being like sort of disposable fun to genuinely quite don't, moving. Don't get me wrong, I like the film a lot. I think it was I think it was a good film and I, I came out of it surprised that I'd had such a good time with it. Maybe on second watch I'd be looking for those signs. It didn't grab me in that but way when, on first watch. But, but when Woody and Bo Peep yeah. are doing what they're doing at the end of the movie and I'm not gonna say more than that because I realise I can make that sound I could just walk into goes, spoiling uh, the movie. It goes, it goes very adult guys. Yeah. Very adult. Yeah. But, but also, is yeah, this like, I, it's not the end of a Bond film I, where they're just in a dinghy. Woody and Bo Peep are just in a dinghy in the middle of the ocean. I'm, I'm reluctant to like actually spoil sort of plot points as well, though, because you know I can't step on the movie just for people who, who don't give a shit about my allegorical reading of the whole thing. But when they're doing what they're doing at the end, yeah. it must strike you as or the audience as something rather than the the no, franchise no, no, no. is going like, oh, they're just doing that and don't worry no, about it. No, don't get me wrong. It struck me as something. The whole film, don't get me wrong, the whole film, it, it, it gave me, the, I've never used the term before, it gave me all the feels. Like, I, I, was emo- I was emotionally attached to the characters. I just, for me, I just thought Toy Story 3 just ended so perfectly, so perfectly, that this feels like it was an extra film. It did, it didn't feel like a natural evolution from Toy Story 3 for me. Right. As much as it is a good film in its own way. But life. I put it to you this way, Paul Anderson. If, let's say, you have a three-course meal and it's an excellent, satisfying three-course <laughs> meal, but then I roll up and I say, oh, I've got apple crumble with some custard. Do you want that as well? And you have it and it's enjoyable. Won't you think, actually, that was better for the apple crumble rather than, I wish I'd never had that apple crumble because it wasn't necessary? Well, you forced me into a corner. The answer is obviously yes. I'll take the apple crumble, Pete. And and what if that apple crumble <laughs> taught you something about depression and loss, Paul? <laughs> then I mean, come on, this is a great movie. Yeah, no, I, I totally get what you mean. Like, I I feel like the same way as you. If I hadn't had it's such a, a strong movie. response to the movie, I yeah. like the movie. I'm not sitting here saying to you I don't like the movie. I thought it was I a just great, feel like my great time my life is better for it having been made than if it, they hadn't bothered and just stopped. At I can't three. I can't argue that point. But I just felt for me three ended so strongly that this felt a good addition to the mix, but not necessarily did, one. Did you hear uh, recently in interviews Tom Hanks reveal the fact that uh, obviously Toy Story one came out in 1995. He started recording his audio stuff for Toy Story in 1991, and here we are yeah, in. But Key and Peele recorded four years ago for Toy Story four. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, so it's been planning. Well, it's not 1991 though, but yeah, that is that is impressive. No, no, admittedly. Not, I mean, no. basically, that just shows us one thing, which is it takes a fucking long time to make one of these movies—a yeah. four-year turnaround at least. So, yeah, uh, you know, all, all power to him. Uh, I'd be in for Toy Story Five, but I totally get what you mean. If they stopped here, or if they had stopped at Toy Story Three, I think both departure points would have been would have been fine. By I mean, me. it's not a Men in Black international situation. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, it's definitely not that situation. But no, I had a great time with it. No, necessarily think it was needed. Toy Story 5. I mean, if it's still as funny as this one, I'm in. Um, but we'll, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. And talking of seeing where it goes, Paul. Pete, uh, um, what, how are you feeling? So, I mean, I, I reckon that went relatively well, <laughs> considering we did no planning and basically looked at a couple of notes on our phones here and there. Uh, but we'll see what the response to this is uh, and if we get any decent feedback. Um, I, we can't, like, cast iron promise who the lineup is going to be on the, the next show or, or show after that. Paul is, is steering the ship in that regard, but I will almost certainly return sooner rather than later. I am going to be away right. for a couple of weeks. I'm going, to, I'm going to throw down the cast iron. I'm going to throw down some cast iron plans. So Pete will be off for the next few weeks. He's going away on his belated honeymoon to Thailand. Mm. Um, in the meantime, there will be guest spots, but I think that after that, Pete will probably be back. It, uh, it could anything, Unless anything well dramatically changes. Um, yes. Unless I, I get a terrible, terrible illness when I'm away on my travels, yeah. then um, yeah, it should be good to, to or kick you give on us some and... terrible feedback about this episode. Absolutely, in which case, in which yeah. case take all, people push his Toy Story out of the crown. You know, uh, <laughs> vote with your fingers and type horrible I'm not, things. I'm on not Twitter, going anywhere, but... guys. So you can't get rid of me. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, until the next time that I'm on the mic, which you know, who knows, a few weeks time, I guess. Uh, well, I've been Pete, and this has been Strange in a Cinema. Paul, like you've got to say the last words really this is your your show really it's our show it's our show don't be so coy um find us at stranger cinema on twitter stranger cinema on facebook and instagram i've been paul anderson this has been pete wall back again goodbye shut up and sit down